It's not that I don't love just jumping in and getting excited and, and, and singing to Jesus, but I, I know, especially in this season, similar to Advent, if you've, uh, if you've never followed the church seasons, maybe you come from a church tradition that doesn't track along with them, uh, this, this season for me is as is, 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 uh, dark as it is, um, as, as uh, maybe it was the first time you, uh, you ever were in church and you were singing about your death in a non-literal sense. There's something really healthy about that. There's something healthy about this season where it's not like we don't pay attention to our, our, our brokenness, our sin the rest of the year. But at Lent, right, we zero in on, on this time uh, that's meant to sort of almost follow Jesus in the wilderness. This is, a, this is a season of wilderness. This is a season of reflection. This is a season to really pay attention to the inner life and all that's happening in it. So I get to start a new series we're doing on forgiveness, on forgiveness. So what we uh, have set out to do over the course of the year, if you're new with us, is uh, we, uh, we're just walking through one of uh, these, these accounts in Luke and just allowing the things that pop up as we go through to kind of startle us, alarm us. I know I've said this many times, but I'm always surprised at how Jesus is, is stronger, more concerned with truth than I remember. And he's also more, more gentle and inclusive than I remember often. And so what we wanted to then do is we're going to take the year and just look at the life of Jesus through the lens of Luke, just walking through the text. We wanted to stop four times, and we may continue this on even into the next year, and, and learn a sort of a practice, zero in on a discipline. One way to say it would be if Jesus is the way, what are the different ways that Jesus is the way? So we usually talk about he's the way in some, some very large sense. But what are the different ways that he actually is the way? And one of those, one of those things uh, we talked about back in the fall where we see in the life of Jesus a practice of being a disciple, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, which many of us in this room claim to be. We talked about the table, how hospitality is front and center to the good news of who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's why we all get confused when we see Christians being something very different than hospitable, something very different than opening their table even to their enemy, right? And so the second practice is this one of forgiveness. In a culture of outrage, in a culture where there's, there's like no room to get it wrong, say it wrong, there's no path back to healing and wholeness, Right, we could talk about this on a macro scale. We could talk about this in terms of our inner shame and guilt. We want to talk about forgiveness, and we're going to talk about it in four parts. So we're going to talk about uh, starting with confession. Because before we talk about forgiveness, is there anything that we even need to be forgiven for? So let's talk a little bit about confession. And then we're going to talk about the, the process of what it means to forgive others. If we've been so forgiven, how do we forgive others? And then we're going to talk about um, how when we deal with pain, how Instead of transmitting it to others, we, we, we tra it's transformed. How God uses the pain to actually absorb and how this is a, a part of forgiveness. And then lastly, reconciliation. Uh, and then we'll be into Holy Week. So that's the, the overview of where we're going to go. Um, and so I want to invite you, if you would, this morning to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. 
or turn on your, your turn on your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51. I heard a speaker talk about uh, how the most, uh, this last weekend he was saying, the most glorious sound used to be, as, as a pastor, like hearing people turn in their Bibles, right? Like you turn to the word and you'd hear the rustling of pages. Instead, now it's just like a holy glow. Just the whole room just lights up. Psalm 51. I love this text, and if you've been around Sanctuary for a while, you know that I love this text. Because this, for me, addresses this, uh, this fundamental issue question. Like, we have to um, ask the question, like, what do we do when we sin? If we were to acknowledge, and I recognize that word sin has a lot of baggage, and we'll talk about that in a moment. What do we do when we sin is probably the most important thing in your walk with God. Probably one of, one of the most important things. What do we do and how do we respond when we sin? Some of us come from environments where... It, Already, like me talking about this intro, talking about confession and talking about sin, you already are like, I walked into the wrong church this morning. <laughs> for some of you, it brings up a whole lot of baggage. And for some of you, the way to deal with that has been to be like, my God would, would never really like, like demand me to confess or, or my God's really gentle with me and my sin. Kind of doesn't actually really care that much. And then other of us, others of us come from that environment. I come from an environment where maybe sin brokenness was really reframed as simply something that is sort of out there. And sure, there's brokenness in the world. And sure, I might do some bad things now and again. But there's nothing like fundamentally broken about me. And maybe it's caused a difficult scenario in your own heart of how do I really deal when I'm confronted with my, uh, with my mess? So I want to go off a working definition of sin in a moment. Um, but first I want to talk just for a second about the word shalom. Can you say shalom? Excellent. Shalom is the Hebrew word. gets translated as peace or wholeness or blessing. Shalom, in a nutshell, is the harmony God intends for the world. So shalom is how God wants things to be. Shalom is peace with yourself which we see at the beginning of Scripture in the Adam and Eve story. Peace with your neighbor, peace with the earth, and peace with God. Peace all around. It's everything in its right place. It's how things are supposed to be. Blessings to you, shalom to you. And so a definition of sin, and there are a lot that I really like, that I think gathers all the other pieces and definitions and words up, is this. Sin is a culpable Say culpable. I won't keep making you repeat words. Culpable disturbance of shalom. A culpable disturbance of shalom. Culpable. Like there's some responsibility, ownership, guilt. There's ways that we've contributed to the disturbance of shalom. 
Anybody who has children knows right out of the gate, we are prone to this, right? We are culpable in disrupting the peace of our parents. (laughs) That was a joke. Disturbance. Things aren't how things are supposed to be. Right? So there's a disturbance from environmental degradation to domestic violence to Wall Street corruption to the petty lies and things that we do to disrespect each other. This world isn't how it's supposed to be. Sin is anything we do to disrupt the peace and harmony that God desires in the world. Another way to put it was in that definition or that little explanation of Lent. It's our good longings that have gone astray. Sin, and I love that definition because it frames it correctly. It's we have these these longings. We're made in the image of God and yet prone to choose death because we are actually, we, we didn't just like, We weren't just born into nothing. We were born into generational sin and brokenness and systemic evil. I love all the discussion that happens around systemic racism from from a number of standpoints, but from one in particular, is it helps people who who have a hard time believing that they were born into sin or that that, that coming to Jesus is a shift from death to life. Why? Because what we realize and what we're owning is that we're born into like a broken system. So when we talk about systemic racism, we're realizing that we're implicitly culpable. We recognize there's an implicity to, to looking at the brokenness around race relations, around, around how people relate to one another, around laws. And so it's easy to go, well, I didn't do anything. I'm not. And yet we recognize our culpability and our con- contribution within a system. It helps get us like halfway there for those of us in the room who may have a real hard time with the idea that there is something in us that is bent and broken. One author puts it, uh, he says, we are cracked icons. If we're made in the image of God, right, we're sort of icons of God. We're, we're cracked images. There's, there's something in there that we own. And we do this not because we're depressed, we do this not because Christians love to like self-flagellate or something. Like we do, we do this, as we like to say around here, because we want to be sober-minded. We just want to be honest about the world because how can you get better? How can you heal? How can you step into freedom? How can you step into joy and to blessing if you can't name the sickness? How can you heal and become all that you were created to be fully human, fully alive, fully free, walking in the life of heaven, if you're not willing to ID the things that are out of line, if you're not willing to ID the things that are broken. So what you do when you sin is probably the most important thing in your walk with God. In Psalm 51, this psalm helps us get there. The context of this psalm is like Shakespearean, It is epic. I'll do a quick walkthrough of a reminder of the context of this writer, David, who writes this song, this poem to Jesus, or not to Jesus, he's writing to himself, he's praying to God. And he teaches us something fundamental about this idea of confession. A couple nights ago, um, I was doing bedtime with my daughter, my oldest daughter, and um, went upstairs and we have our, our ritual we have like 
kiss, a hug, and some water has to happen. We do uh, some prayer time. We do a little recap of the day. It's, it's this beautiful little rhythm that we have. And so I ask her a question as we're done with prayer, because usually she has a bunch of things she wants to pray about, and she didn't have anything. And so I just said, hey, uh, is there anything that you feel like you need from Jesus that I could pray for, maybe you want to pray for? And she has this interesting habit, and I've heard this and done the, like, dad listening in as he leaves the, leaves the room after I'm done, where she will just pray out loud to Jesus after I go, which doesn't warm your father's heart at all or cause me to cry or anything like that. And so she, so I asked her, is there anything that you want to you pray when I, when I get up and go or? And she goes, oh, just a couple things. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess you want to maybe tell me one of them? I don't want to tell you. What? This has never happened before. So I go, why wouldn't you want to tell me? <laughs> the waterworks start to come. Like, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay, you should tell your mom and dad things, right? So I'm trying to like not be too heavy, but be like, you tell your mom and dad everything. Right? I'm going to build this in now so when you're 17, you'll tell me. Uh, everything. Everything. Uh, he did what to you? Um, so so I, I'm, I'm asking her gently and gently, and she just starts to bawl. You're going to get mad at me. I'm like, no. I would never get mad at you. I'm having all these self-doubts as a father. Like, do I get mad when she says bad things? She does. I'm so sorry. And no, no, I love you, all this stuff. And she's like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay, so this goes on for like 15 minutes. So I go, okay, you know what? I'll go down, I'll get you a cup of water, and then why don't you pray? And then when I come back up, maybe after you pray, Jesus, and if you feel like you need to ask him for forgiveness for something or whatever, you, then maybe you can tell him, like, no, no, okay, just think it over. So I go down, I take extra long, I tell um, my wife, Corey, like, what's going on, fill her in, it's maybe four or five minutes, I go back upstairs, and then I give her the water, and she's like, I can tell, how's that look like, I hope he forgot. <laughs> so I ask again, hey, why don't you tell me, no, I can't tell, I can't, I can't. And then, so I, I begin to kind of just unpack a little bit for her. By the way, this little short summation of the story that I'm going to give you right now was close to 45 minutes. No exaggeration. So I start with, hey, you know what? You know when we play that game Stuck? We have this little game Stuck that we play with my two-year-old. And basically, I just kind of like hold her, and then she goes, one, two, three, we're free. And then I like let her go, and then she runs, and she likes to get stuck again, and then free. I was like, you telling me what happened will kind of be like Stuck just reaching here. Like you, you will feel so free. And I believe that. You will feel so much better. All right. So then a few more minutes go by. Here's what's going to happen. Let me, let me outline it. You're going to tell me the thing. You're going to cry because you're going to feel bad. Here's what I'm going to do. going to give you the biggest hug in the world, give you a kiss and tell you that I love you. And everything's going to be great. No, I can't. I can't. So it goes on. I keep outlining it, telling her how much I love her. We won't get mad. She's like, will you tell me again what will happen? This goes on and on and on. And I'm teetering on the edge of like, just tell me. <laughs> and being a good dad. So <laughs> with that line, you talk about sin. I realize this is right where the choice between life and death. And so, so finally, I'm like, all right, so where did this thing happen? So she tells me where it happened. I get a little nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe something bad happened. Did anyone do anything bad to you? So I go through all those appropriate questions. We're clear. 
Was it with another kid? No, no, it wasn't with a kid. Okay. All right, it wasn't with a kid, so it was with an adult. Now I'm nervous again. Yeah. Okay, did that adult do anything to you? No. Did you talk to the adult? No. Did you take something from the adult? No. Did you say something mean to the adult? No, I cannot figure this out. Finally, we, again, 20 more minutes, who knows, this back and forth, and I love using and crying. And so I go, all right, all right, we have another idea. Did you think something bad about an adult? All right, we're getting somewhere. A little. Okay. What did you think? Did you think that they were, I know, started goof smelly? Did you think they were being strange? Did you think they were, I kind of just went through the list of things that I could think a five-year-old would think bad about an adult. I got nothing. Still not coming. And then we cry. We go back and forth. This is what will happen. Then, this was like, realized the key. I just said, hey, Harper, I'm not going to keep pushing you. Can I just tell you something? So Jesus, or, or in the Bible, it talks about how we should confess our sins to one another. Let me tell you what this means. It just means sometimes when we share with the people that we're close with, in this case, mommy and daddy, when we just say what's on our heart, it actually makes us feel better. Five-year-old interpretation of the verse. And so then I go, let me tell you how I have thought some bad things about people before. Now, I gave her an amalgamation of like every bad thing I've ever thought in the most vanilla form so she doesn't disrespect her father. But I just was basically, I, I, I told her like, I, I've thought bad things too. You have? Yeah, even me, who knew? I've thought bad things about people and I have to ask for forgiveness and sometimes I need to talk to that person. You don't need to do that. And, and I feel so much better. Okay. Crying, crying, crying a little bit more. Then she begins to tell me. Okay, well, I, 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 I thought that I, I did, did, did. I hear the letter D, and then she starts crying again. D. We're closer. This story is taking as long as the conversation did. So we hit D. And I'm like, okay, what D word? Did you think they were dumb? Do you even know that word? No, what's dumb? Oh, I love your innocence. Did you think that they were, and so she, I, dirty. I can't think of any more D words that she would know or are appropriate. And so I, I start, I, uh, I got nothing. And so another few minutes pass, and finally after I recap what will happen, I go, look, I bet you that I have said the, I have thought something so similar. In fact, if, if, when you say it, assuming that I've thought the same thing, I, if, if, like we're gonna make a little bet here. I, if that's true, I'm gonna go downstairs and get you a little Andy's chocolate. I'm subtly bribing, but not framed as a bribe. So now I've really tipped her over the edge. Okay, okay, I think I can do it. Yeah, of course you can, chocolate. So... She goes, I just, I just, I just, I, there was an adult that I didn't like. <laughs> That's it? After all that, I wanted something a little juicier than that. <laughs> I didn't like, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't like them. Okay, so we unpack who it was, why she didn't like them, why she felt so bad about that. I was like, Daddy doesn't like all sorts of people. I didn't say that. <laughs> I 
It's like, well, we respect everyone, everyone. God loves everyone and thinks they're special. You don't have to think everyone is like the best. You don't have to be friends with everybody. You don't have to hug. I went through the whole thing. And I just, at the end of our, our recap then, I just go, how do you feel? Daddy, you are so right. About what? I know. She goes, I feel so much better. I think she said the words, I feel free. I had fed her that earlier. Free. What David's doing in Psalm 51 is confessing. He's laying it all out. He starts with lines like, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to a love that doesn't fail, this is the original love wins statement. If it doesn't fail, the love always wins. A love that always conquers. Have mercy on me according to that kind. I know that that's your love. It's like, he's not reminding God. I think God knows about his unfailing love. No, 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 no. He's reminding himself. I know this, right? I'm going to go through the line again. Your love is unfailing. So please have mercy on me. Wash me. I know that my transgressions, my sin is always before me. He says, against you and only you have I sinned. We'll get to that in a minute. He says, cleanse me. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Create in me a clean heart. Don't cast me away. Restore the joy unto me. He goes from surely I was sinful at birth to restore to me the joy of my salvation. There's a time of year when young men would go out into war. David, his king, stays home. His wife, who he's married to, basically resents him for a number of reasons. And so in a city where at this moment most of the men are gone, there's a bit of sexual tension in the city. David, in this position of power, He's on a roof of his palace and he sees a beautiful woman. Something awakens in his heart. He's compelled by her beauty. He calls for her because he's the king and he can do that. This woman is married to one of David's men. In fact, one of David's like mighty men. He invites her over. He's probably not looking for a cup of coffee. They sleep together. And then the word comes to David that this woman, Peseta, is pregnant. This is where it gets all Shakespearean. David calls for her husband, who's out at war, to come home. So, this is, again, a good man, Uriah. Husband of somebody, he, he has been faithful in battle and faithful to his bride and to the kingdom. David calls him back, and he says, go, go be with your wife. But this guy's got integrity, He's like, I'm not going to go be with your wife, by the way, is not go like have a cup of coffee again. This is like a euphemism for, you know, go be with your wife. He's like, I'm not going to go do that. All my men are out in battle and I'm back here sleeping with my bride. So he has all this integrity. He's like, I'm not going to do that. So David then finds a way to basically get him drunk. Still doesn't do it. Goes back out. So David then contacts his commander, sends this letter. 
uh, to basically set up a situation where he's killed on the battlefield and it can't get linked back to David. It's good, huh? Once he's killed, then he invites this man's wife into his home. And it looks like he's gotten away with it. Then his buddy Nathan shows up, 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Have you ever had someone come to you and you're like, I think the Lord sent you? Goes one of two ways, right? Right? Anyone had anyone come to them? Like, and you're like, I have this sense that like, this is what exactly what I needed and this is a bit strange. Someone was like, yeah, God just felt like, it goes one of two ways. It's either incredible encouragement or it's what? Uh-oh. <laughs> when he came to him, he said there were two men in a certain town, one rich and another poor. So he breaks into a little story. Let me tell you a story. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. The poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Man has an inappropriate relationship with the sheep. No, kidding. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for this traveler who would come to him. Now, this is something that you'd do. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burns with anger against the man and says to Nathan, for real? And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die die. It's a bit of a reaction. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, you are the man. And it's not like you're the man. It's like, I'm talking about you. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed, David, you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You were that man. G.K. Chesterton famously said, in a newspaper article written to the London Times or something like that, the London Times reached out to these leading figures in every sphere of influence. And they reached out to G.K. Chesterton, this author and thinker and pastor. And the question that was given to all of them, that was given to G.K., was, what's wrong with the world? Send us in an essay. You know what G.K. Chesterton sent back? Dear sirs, madame, <laughs> he said, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. That was his essay. What's wrong with the world? I am. Nathan comes to David and he goes, yeah, this whole thing you're all riled up about, that's you. And so David, I love David. I love David in seasons where I am wrestling with sin in my own heart. Because you see a divided heart. He loves God. And in Psalm 51, this account that we have that is written in response to what happened in this story that we just heard, 
Instead of turning from God, he turns to God. And church, I see too many of us turn from God and away from God when we're wrestling with sin and brokenness instead of turning to him. When we know there's stuff that's jacked up, what do we want to do? Hide. This is like Adam and Eve all over again. It's been said, but it's when people talk about the historicity of, of Adam and Eve, it's like the, the question is not so much did that story literally happen, it's that it continues to happen over and over and over again. We hide. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve is basically like at the beginning of time, made in the image of God. When confronted with turning to God or away from him, we, we have a propensity. Our forefathers and mothers turn away and then when we realize that we've jacked it up, instead of going to him, we run from him and we hide. Anybody hiding from anything today? Anyone hiding from God today? Anyone shoving something down today? And you need this to come up. This psalm has four sections. I'm gonna run through the rest of this. Four sections. One, the first is an appeal. Have mercy on me. I've been going through something that's been really tough in my soul lately. And this has been my prayer over and over over the last year. Lord, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Have compassion on me. Would you blot out my sin? I see the error of my ways when I keep returning back to the poison. Have mercy on me. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. I know them. When we hide from God, we're what? Hiding from ourselves, ultimately. It's really tough to stand before God and to, to not, like, not be honest with what's happening in our own heart. Hiding from God begins with hiding from ourselves. David is throwing up this, in his mind, a Hail Mary. He doesn't know the way of Jesus. Again, if you're familiar with the scripture, Jesus isn't on the scene yet. He doesn't know this love and forgiveness that is available to him right here and now. And so he throws up a Hail Mary and he says, God, what about your mercy? Look, true repentance doesn't start with our own sense of, of like what we can do to make it better. True repentance doesn't just start with, I'm gonna fix it, I'm gonna fix it, I'm gonna fix it. It starts with naming it, owning it, and saying, God, will you please have compassion on me and allowing that to begin to transform you. He says, my sin is ever before me. It's always here. It's like this existential ache. Anyone had anything? It's just, I cannot shake this off. Or going back to our definition of sin, it's like this really good desire that we have that keeps getting pulled away. We have this really good thing that we want, this good thing, this good impulse, and it keeps getting twisted. My sin is ever before me. So the appeal, if you're taking notes, you remember 10% more of a talk if you take notes. It's true. The appeal, one. Two, the confession. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Then he gets really dark. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now this is not quite right. If you're paying attention at all this morning, I know it's dark in here. 
right? You know that he has actually sinned against a bunch of people. And he actually, in this one little line here, he uses every Hebrew word that there is for sin. He talks about all of it. He's like, I recognize that the root of all the things, of all these other ways that I've sinned against others, the root is I've sinned against God. He needs to get first things first. Look, a big shift in our modern understanding of God related to sin is a move away from viewing sin as primarily against God to viewing sin as primarily against each other. This can mean that as long as we don't hurt others, God will justify however we choose to live. Does anyone feel that in our cultural moment right now? As long as I'm hurting anybody else, God will somehow justify however I choose to live. And so our primary lens related to sin is justice and the other rather than righteousness before God. And this can make sin all about me rather than all about God and weaken our passion for holiness. You hear that? I don't know how many of you follow like just church things, but there is a propensity to be kind of one kind of church or the other. The Bible doesn't do that. Be holy. Watch how much alcohol you're intaking. Like, don't sleep around. Like, your body is a temple. Like, be careful what you do because there's life waiting for you and that stuff will just begin to jack it all up. And then there's also, like, the sin of, like, care about injustice. Care about what's happening in our world. It's okay to get political because the gospel's implicitly political. Jesus is Lord, not Trump is president, right? Like, both of these things exist within the scriptures. And we cannot make sin all about the injustice over there and not about what's happening in our heart. Because we all know deep in our bones, they are intrinsically linked the culture of your heart affects the culture of your friendships, affects the culture of your family, affects the culture of this church, and will affect the culture of our city, even in the smallest ways. We know this, so we have to be okay with naming what's happening in our own heart. Against you and you only have I sinned. David is getting first things first. This is what makes us Christians. It's like if no one even saw that sin, I know it crushes God. And that's not to make us feel bad. That's not like we walk around with a bunch of guilt, and we'll get to the good stuff in a minute. But we know that it matters. Why? Because if your image, if you have, and I'm so sorry for those of you who don't have this. I know fatherlessness and broken fatherhood is an epidemic in, our, in my generation. But if you have an image of a good father, you know what I'm talking about. A dad who actually loves you enough to care what you do with your body, with your mind, with your soul is a dad who loves you. Not your earthly dad who's gonna jack that up and not get it all right. Imagine that like a perfect father then. He goes, I hate the cancer that's growing in you. I don't like when you make that choice. I'm like, gosh, will you name that and let me heal that? Let me in there. It's not like God standing back just judging and looking for sin. It's a God who loves you. And so any wrath, any frustration, if God gets frustrated. Any like ache that God has for us to get healthy and whole is built off of his love for you. I don't want you choosing death, my sister, my brother. Come home. 
If we don't have a clear sense of the true thing that's happening in our heart, we won't be able to understand what the solution is. And so this leads me to three, restoration. So, sub, so uh, heading number three as we go through Psalm 51, he says, Jesus, God, wash me. Behold, you desire truth in my innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me, I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Look, we don't have the capacity within ourselves, no matter how many layers of good deeds we have. This metaphor, he says, wash me with, purify me with hyssop. Hyssop was like an offering for lepers. He's basically saying, I need the lepers offering for my spirit. I need the lepers offering. David trusts the mercy of God. He is murdering, lying, committing adultery, and he believes he can be restored because he knows his God. Heal me, he says. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones from which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Blot out, blotting out. (laughs) Would you be willing to leave me whole, but blot out my sin? Would you be willing to restore me? Don't just wash me, he says, but then heal me. And then he says this, I love this. So it's like, wash me clean. Put me back together. No, you can. And then, and then it's recreate me. Create in me a clean heart. I remember that old song. Oh God. No. Okay, cool. Sunday school kid. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Recreate me. We love to reinvent ourselves, which we can all do. Any one of us can reinvent ourselves. Just delete all your Instagram, right? Delete all your face, restart over. New fashion sense, move to a new city. You can recreate yourself, your image, right? You can reinvent yourself, I'm sorry. We can all do that. It's another thing to be recreated. One thing's just a veneer, right? You know, the old trope in recovery. Wherever you go, there you are. You can reinvent the packaging, but wherever you go, there you are. But to be recreated is to say, no, 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 no. No, no, there's something new that can give, give birth. Restore me, he says. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then he gives a vow of thanks. God, the God of my salvation, Open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise I'd give it. And others, if you wanted me to like do a couple things, say a few Hail Marys, like walk around the block three times, do six nice things, like pet a dog, like give a water bottle to an old lady. Like I, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that one. <laughs> Obviously, you guys have never done that? Pass out water bottles to old people. Classic ministry. We have some signups in the lobby after. <laughs> He's like, that's not what I'm looking for. The sacrifices of God, you want to know what God's looking for? You don't need to make, take a trip to Mecca. Well, I'm just looking for like, like soberness. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you won't despise. Be honest 
and you have no idea the healing, the recreation, the washing, the delivering, the love, and the freedom. Dad, I just feel like free, my little girl says. It's yours. If you're caught in sin, if you've been caught in something, it's too late to walk away without consequences. But he's a God of grace. And owning that and seeing that will allow for that restoration to happen. Those of you that haven't been, <laughs> you need to take in the reality of where things are and realize that there is a way out and there is one that leads to life. Jesus can handle your sin. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Jesus can handle your sickness, your brokenness, your ish. He can handle it. He can handle it. But he cannot help you if you're not honest about it. This is why this psalm is not the only place in the scripture we get this breakdown. Years ago, I preached a sermon. I said at Sanctuary, we go there. I put up like a hashtag, like hashtag we go there. Like, Welcome to Sanctuary. We, we, we go there. We're honest. We want to be real with what's happening in our own heart. You are as sick as your sickest secret. Do you hear that? You are as sick as your sickest secret, and we want to be the kind of community that goes there with each other. Whew, be serious about this. Some of you, you got handed stuff that's really dark. You've been abused, you've been abandoned, you got anger issues, there's an emotional vacancy. This workaholism line that kind of runs in your veins passed down. You're a product of generations. I mean, all of us are. And if we don't become aware, we will pass them down. It's a tale as old as time, right? To say, I won't do that to my kid. That was done to me. And we know statistically, you will. Recreate me, oh God, deliver me from what I've been handed. Because I know we'll get its claws in me. Some of you have a wounded conscience. <laughs> Hebrews 10 says, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter, enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, because like, we can approach God by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near to God, hear this, with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with water. Some of you, your conscience is just like killing you. You can be free of a guilty conscience having your body washed as if, as if, as if with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. 
The Christian story is about hope that we have that God washes us and God sets us free. God washes us and God sets us free. As we come to the table, I wanna invite you, whether you're, what's coming up in your heart are things that have been done to you, things that you're in, things you're wrestling with, temptations, addictions, brokenness, these good desires and good things you have that have gone astray, wherever you're mapping on this. As we think about what is it for me to be honest about it, to make an appeal and to realize I can be restored and be made new. I would love for you as you come to the communion table and I'm gonna invite the, the communion ushers up, servers up, just to consider this phrase. With whatever you got going on in your heart, you don't have to live this way. I love this. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to carry that around. There may be consequences that still need to be dealt with. This may not be like some one and done thing. Often, right, when we have these grooves in our minds of like failures and addictions and things that are happening in our hearts, that's why Paul says like, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a process into healing, but that initial moment of purification of cleansing, of healing, that begins now. You don't have to live like this. To confess before God, to maybe, maybe it's for you, it's like as you go to the plate and like, okay, this is Christ's body broken for me. This is his blood poured out for, for me. I, are you telling me that, that the, the little, the symbolism right here in this moment, the power of like, of like physically with my like taste, remembering that, that God forgives even me, that God took all of my sin like upon himself, that we see this picture of Jesus taking the worst the world had to throw at him, like he'd been, he was perfect and been totally sinned against. He's like, I got you. Maybe there's something in the story of the bread and the cup that is, hey, hey Andrew, hey, Sydney. <laughs> like, you don't have to live like this. I can't be free. Deliver me, wash me white as snow, God. Whew, gonna name it today. Maybe you got like 60 and you're like, oh gosh, I'm gonna go with one. <laughs> This is about freedom and this is about a God who loves you and a God who loves you so much right where you are in the midst of all of your junk. He loves you and he says, I don't want you to have to carry that anymore. I love you way too much to let you stay in that place. I'm gonna meet you in the gutter. I'm gonna meet you in the worst possible spot in that dark little cavern of your soul that is jacked up. I'm gonna meet you right there in your selfishness, right there in your ego. Maybe it's for you, it's just like right there in your, I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm not really gonna submit myself to the life of Jesus. In any, I'm gonna, whatever it is, like right then and there, I've got you. And, and I wanna lead you out. I'm not interested in hanging out with you at the bottom of the well. I'm not interested in hanging out with you in the pigsty. I'm not, I don't wanna hang out with you in, like in front of the, the, the computer screen with porn on. I don't, I don't wanna hang out with you there. I love you, I'm gonna meet you right there. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close the computer and I'm gonna put my arm around you and we're gonna get out of here. 
part of confession maybe in that weird scenario is Jesus just knocking on the door and this is that moment. And he knows, but he wants you to name it because as we all know, that's a part of our healing. So he's just like, okay, I'm gonna wait here and knock on the door. So it's you getting up and letting him into that. Confessing is the beginning of forgiveness. This is where we begin the story of forgiveness. So come back next week to hear more about forgiveness. But we gotta start here. Gotta start here. And so might we come with a bit of expectancy and even joy in our hearts? I know I'm like sadistic. That even as you're naming whatever is broken and guilt and wrecked down in your heart to come forward and to know the freedom and joy that awaits you. Wash me white as snow, Lord. Blot out my transgressions. I know I have a propensity to even do this again as I go home. Whatever it is, Lord, I'm gonna name it and begin that healing now. And I'm gonna trust you with some of my, my powerful prayer brothers and sisters as I'm even looking at them now. I know I can hear them almost saying to me, <laughs> just like, hey, but there could actually be total healing now, total restoration even now. So come with faith. Come with joy. If you want to be prayed for, come over here. These fine folks and some others would love to pray for you. Pastor Sarah's over here. If you'd like to pray, come and be prayed for. Maybe you just need to confess. Maybe it's not to anyone else. You just need to kind of like just, just sit on this front pew just to come up and to be prayed for. Um, and if there's something you want for this season of Lent, as we're talking about forgiveness, to come forward and, and grab, there's going to be this little box of just these red claws that we have. I'm gonna put it right here. And we're just inviting people to come up. If there's just that, that sin that's got you gripped, you don't have to write anything on it, just take it and just to tie it to the cross. Maybe you guys can spread out a little bit. And so then when you come back next Sunday and you come back the Sunday after that as we move toward Easter, you're just reminded of this thing that God is healing in you and restoring in you. So if you want to even do that and participate in that, you can line up on this side. So we're going to take a few minutes to take communion, to maybe engage with the cross, to come and to kneel. And as we sing of God's amazing grace, his unmerited favor, you're not going to get what you deserve. Congratulations, everybody. But you got to confess and to name it. He's asking you to be honest. So Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us, jacked up people. Sinners made in your image, dearly loved by you. But with this impulse to choose death over and over and over again, Lord Jesus, hear our prayer. Have mercy on us and restore us according to your love that never, ever, ever fails. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.